I'm out of gray. Sometimes I'm on this show and I'm talking about politics or, you know what I'm saying, learn behavior, social status, a whole bunch of serious topics. So I want to give y'all a little bit of my personality and I want to tell you a funny story. So me personally, um, I think the first time I smoked some weed was probably like 12 years old. And that's earlier than a lot of people, but we was outside early, me and my Younger brother, Neek. Shout out to Neek, man. Damo the Great. You know, when you hear the beginning of the show and you hear that that uh, producer tag, that's him. He's in Orlando. Get with him for the beats. But we was outside doing a lot early um, growing up. So, you know, we might have hit some weed early. But in Ohio and also with this being in the 90s, it wasn't like the shit that they have now. So... Whenever I got out to the West Coast, which was like the early 2000s, 2006 to be exact, um, and I seen that weed was different out here. <laughs> you know, we had some good shit out there, man, but in 06, it wasn't moving around how it is now. It's a little different now, but the shit that I first smoked when I got out here, I was like, damn, this the chronic. This why Dre and them made a whole album about this shit different. So I thought I was smoking gas in Ohio, but I guess that shit was reefer. You know what I'm saying? Wasn't no none of this shit. So, you know, you get to getting a little deeper into that culture and niggas is on edibles and wax and all kind of shit. So more than a couple of times I had people ask me if I wanted to take edibles and I had heard really horror stories about this being too lit off of this shit or it been lit too hot too long or whatever. So I'm like, nah, nah, nah. So fast forward a couple of years. I get to working at this job. I, I ain't going to say the name of the job, but um, it was a real open, real open job far as like people wasn't really judging what she was on. So I get in the shift and I get comfortable with some of the people around me, which it was a real eclectic group of people, man. It was like, I think I was like the only black dude my age. It was like some older white folks, some older black folks, uh, some Samoan people, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, when you work with someone eight to ten hours a day, five to six days a week, you start to get to know them. So I'm getting to know them and find out most of them, they smoke. So, you know, we smoke, might smoke together a couple of times, talk about it. But this older white couple that worked there, and I can't say their names, but, you know, they really, really don't look like the type of people that would indulge in none of this type of shit. But the wife, she did have like a stoner nickname. So one day we was having a conversation and it just came up and, you know, they was telling me they get down. So she starts telling me how she has edibles and all this. And I'm like, yeah, here we go again. Like, I don't want none of that. But she was, she was older than me, maybe 15, 20 years older. And she started coming off like, like my granny or something. You know what I'm saying? Where I was really trusting her and shit like that. So. She she just keep on telling me, like, oh, you should try it, you should try it. And so one day I agreed to it, and maybe three or four days later, she, she comes to work, and she has these cookies, like little cookies. If you was to, like, put your thumb and index finger together, they're that size, like small. 
she's like, oh, my friend's down from Oregon, and she brought these edibles. And she says, well, she usually makes them kind of strong. So, you know, I would say just eat like a little bit and, you know, reassess. And if you want more, then take more. So I'm like, all right. So the same day, I leave work. At the time, I'm working graveyard, midnight to 8 a.m. So I leave 8 a.m., 30-minute ride home, get home. I'm not tired, even though I worked all night. You know, I'm going to be up for a couple hours before I go to sleep. So at the time, I'm living alone. Um, Just my kids live with me, but it was only on the days that I had custody of them because me and their mom shared custody. So I'm by myself. <laughs> and um, I get home, I get to do whatever, take a shower. And then I get out the shower and I eat maybe one-fourth of this cookie. And like I said before, it's real small to begin with. So I eat like a fourth of it, and I start doing shit. And like 25, 30 minutes later, I could feel it. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, it's not overwhelming. You understand what I'm saying? It's like a good little buzz or whatever. So I'm like, all right, so I could double this, and I'll be right. Then I could just go to sleep. So I eat like another fourth of the cookie. So... I've ate like half of the cookie that's very small. So I get done doing whatever I'm doing. I may have been doing like laundry or cleaning up something. I don't know. But I start watching TV. And like, if you've seen the movie Blow when, when they was doing powder and the nigga said, I can't feel my face. Like I could touch it, but I can't feel it on the inside. <laughs> That's how I started feeling to myself, like I can't feel my face. So I'm watching something on TV and I put my my face in my hands, like literally trying to feel my face. And as I have my face in my hands, I'm like sitting down, my face down in my hands. And then I just start thinking and I'm thinking about, you know, in Vegas. Well, I'll tell you first, I worked downtown in Vegas at the time. So when you work downtown, you see hell of homeless people so it's always something i noticed and sometimes i'll like get them shit or whatever but while my hands is down in my face i'm just thinking like overwhelmingly like damn like why are these people out here like this is fucked up and it's summertime and for context if you ain't familiar like right now we're, we've been 110 degrees plus like a week in a row except maybe one or two days so it's extremely hot so I get thinking like, man, it's real fucked up. They out there, it's hot, it's, they don't have nothing. Why do people live like this? I'm just getting emotional about it for no reason, out of the blue. And I pull my face up out of my hands and my hands is wet. I realize I'm crying. I'm crying in my hands about these homeless people that nothing even triggered it other than this motherfucking cookie that I ate. So I can't just leave it there because this edible is plucking at my heartstrings, and I'm like, do something about it. You feel me? So at the time, I was living in a little condo on the street called Decatur out here. Decatur is like a main street, so they have everything. Well, up the street from me, it was a Little Caesars. So I get the bright idea. I'm really on autopilot because I'm not thinking none of this shit through. But I get the bright idea that I'm finna do my part today. Some If someone starved down there today, it's not going to be because I didn't try to help them. So I go to Little Caesars and I'm still crying. Like, I like got tears coming to my eyes and shit. 
I go to Little Caesars, they just open. Like I said, I got off at 8 a.m. I'm dicking around at the house probably for three or four hours. So it's like 11 o'clock or noon. Like they just now opening up. So I walk in there, I bust in that bitch like, poop. I walk in there and I'm like, yeah, I need 20 hot and ready's. You know, they five bucks a piece. So the girl's like, oh, hey, hey, thank you for coming in. 20? Did you say 20? I said, yeah, 20. So she's like, all right. She tells me the total. So, you know, five times 20 is 100 bucks plus tax. It's like 109, 110 bucks. So I go sit down. If you ever been inside Little Caesars, you know they dining room is like four chairs. So I sit in the corner and I'm sitting that motherfucker and I'm, I still got tears coming out my eyes. So the girl, she's looking at me, but trying not to stare. And she's like, oh, are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm fine. She's like, okay, your pieces will be ready in a little while. So I sit up there. I don't know for how long I'm sitting up there, but finally my shit's ready. So 20 pizzas, load them into my car. And I'm like, you know, I'm about to go make a change. I'm about to make a difference today. So downtown, we got an area, tent city area. There's like homeless shelters and like youth homes and domestic violence uh, centers and shit. Uh, Four Master Main Street, Las Vegas Boulevard. So I go down there. And right now, since COVID, they have built a building on this corner. But at the time, it was like an open lot. And it's across from a graveyard. It's real ominous. Like you have all these people dying slowly and they're all parked up next to a graveyard. Literally tents around the graveyard. So I parked my car illegal as fuck on the curb. Like on a main street, this is Las Vegas Boulevard. If you go four miles south, you're on the strip. I'm on the main street. I park my car. I get out and I'm right by a tent. So I I get the guy's attention. I say, hey, man, you hungry in there? He said, yeah. So I said, come on, I got some food for you. So I had like all the little extras from Little Caesars too. I got plates, napkins and shit, all kind of shit. So I'm giving this nigga three pieces of pizza. And once they see that, they start forming up. So it's hella... Like homeless people start coming towards me and I'm giving all these niggas three slices of pizza a piece. So I get through like two or three boxes of pizza and I start getting hot because now it's, you know, it's noon, it's one o'clock, the sun's up, I'm passing out pizza. I got 20 hot pizzas in my little car and shit. So I start getting hot and then my mind get racing like, man, if you're hot, they're hot and you're giving them hot food, they don't even have nothing to drink. So... I bet this time I have a line of like 15 people and I see more coming from up the road. So instead of just, I don't know what I should have done, but what I ended up doing was like the extra 17 or so pizzas in my car. I took all them bitches out, set them on the, on the curb and the next guy in line, I said, Hey man, could you watch this? And he said, yeah. In my mind, for some reason, I feel like this nigga going to stand guard at a pizza and I'm going to come back and it's going to be great. But I drive off. I go about another mile north to the grocery store, Smith's. It's like Kroger and shit, different part of the country. But I go in there and I get, at the time they had four for $10, 24 packs of water. So I go buy four 24 packs of water and um, I drive back to the spot and nobody's there. This is like probably 10, 12 minutes. Nobody's there at the corner where I was passing the pizza out, including the pizza and the nigga I gave the pizza to. So oddly enough, like right when I'm pulling back up, 
this motherfucking cookie starts wearing off and I'm not lit no more. I'm not sad no more. I'm actually questioning what the fuck I'm doing. So I like sober up right as I get to the curb and I just put the four 24 packs of water on the corner and I drove home and I lived maybe 20 minutes from this area. So I'm driving home and I'm getting more sober with every red light, every stop sign I go through. <laughs> I get like three quarters of the way home. I'm like, what the fuck I do? You know what I'm saying? Like now I'm in the car laughing at myself. But at the time, like I wasn't doing great. So like a hundred some bucks was like hurtful to my pockets. So I get to looking at my bank account or my phone and this buffer got like 68 bucks in it and shit. And I'm like, you know what I'm saying? I get home. By the time I'm home completely sober, I'm down $110, $12. And I got 17 mystery pizzas floating around Las Vegas in the homeless community. So it took me about 10 years before I would touch another edible after that. But that's a story that's going to always stick with me, man. And it's not a bad story because I did do something to help somebody. But it just go to show you, like, man, you getting your feelings about shit. You can do some wild stuff. So, you know, I just want to share that with y'all. I think it's a funny story. All my close friends, they know this story already. And a lot of people probably, I don't know if they got similar stories, but I'm sure niggas could tell me. Some shit they did while off of edible or even smoking too much or drinking too much. So, you know, I appreciate y'all tapping in listening to that. If uh if you got a story you want to tell, man, hit me up. Hit hit the email to viralflotpodcast at gmail.com. Or, you know, if you know me personally, holla at me, man. We can talk about it. We all been there though. You know what I'm saying? So one thing I'm gonna talk about is Charleston White. If you know who that is, he's a guy on the internet. He's a troll, says a lot of controversial shit, but before he got on that type of time, he did used to say a lot of progressive things, you know, some honest things about helping out black folks and stuff. And just like people did Kevin Samuels, they ignored him and he had to change his message to some more vitriolic shit to get a reaction, which he's done by mocking dead rappers uh, he just a lot of overtop saying he gonna tell on people and all this other shit. But he had recently gotten to it in Miami with Soldier Boy, if you want to call that, getting into it. So he's he said things about Soldier Boy in the past, and apparently Soldier Boy and them saw him and said, "I want to talk to you." And uh, Charleston White got a spraying mace in the air like he crazy. I guess he got it on a couple of them or whatever, and. Big Draco took to the internet to say, hey, man, this, this nigga's crazy. He tried to mace us. He a bitch. Blah, blah, blah. And Charleston White, he gets on the internet and pretty much confirms it and claims it and is very proud of himself for doing it. Now, something you got to understand about people like this, the Charleston White type, same thing as uh, Takashi 69 You can't expose people like this because Charleston White since he's been spewing this rhetoric he does, he's he's told you a couple things about himself that he's going to stand on. He said he ain't fighting, he's too small. He said he got a bad eye. You know, he's very self-deprecating. Um, he says he's going to tell on you if you do something to him. And he also says if he has a chance and he catches you, he's going to shoot you and kill you. Call the police. He's constantly showing off that he carries maces and pocket knives and motherfucking... 
I don't know, hammers and mallets and whatever he can use as a weapon because he knows a lot of people have a problem with some of the things he says. So when he does something and the person that he does it to tries to expose him, it don't work. It's like the it's like the eight mile shit. Like you remember on eight mile when Eminem won the battle because he just came out and put all this shit out there. I am white. I am a fucking bum. I live in the trailer with my mom. So Papa Doc didn't have shit to say. So he won. And that's what Charleston White did. He set out all this shit. So if you call him a snitch, it's like, well, I've been told you all that. If you say, you know, he maced me, well, I showed you I got maced. So it's like you can't win against someone like that. And that's a troll. It's a troll. It's it's what a lot of these uh, niggas do online now where they talk crazy about celebrities and they're like, yo, I'm a I'm a citizen, though. I'm a civilian. So if they try me, I'm going to call the police. But it's really some bitch ass shit. But it's like that's the world we live in now um, or powered by social media. So I don't know. I wouldn't advise running up on Charleston White. By the way, I don't fuck with him. I don't fuck with that nigga just because I understand he's just trying to be viral. He's trying to say something to get attention. And that's where we live in. But he didn't cross the line on a couple of things for me personally, the way I feel about shit. So I don't support him. I don't watch none of his shit. You know, I don't hate on him either, though, because I know that's just the era we in. But the way my morals is set up and what makes me me, it wouldn't allow me to, like, pay attention. Like, you ever seen someone that posts stuff on social media and they're pissed off about it? Like a nigga that's like LeBron's trash and you just post LeBron all day. That's like, you know, the best thing you can do to something you don't support is not support it. So you can't repost or whatever with some shit you ain't fucking with because you're fucking with it. You're helping it to grow. So I say that to say that's the reason I don't really listen to his shit, but I am aware of him. He do got a presence and he's controversial. But anybody out there got a problem with him, keep in mind, he's got all these little weapons on him he's from texas so you know he probably knows how to handle guns and shit he's willing to kill you i guess he actually killed someone before when he was younger and um you know if you get to drop on him he's gonna call the cops on you and you're not gonna be able to expose him it's not gonna affect him one bit because he's been telling you this is what he is from day one so it's kind of the same thing when you know when a girl meet a dude and a dude like coordinator but he like man I ain't gonna lie I ain't shit though and the girl thinks she could change him or at least change the game and then when a nigga do some ain't shit stuff she like I can't believe he did something this nigga ain't shit well he told you that so you know I'll say all that to say when someone tells you who they are believe you know a lot of church people I see like tragedy happen or discrepancy happen, whatever, and I and I hear a lot of church folks say, when they say church folks, they say religious folks, that they'll be real quick to forgive. They'll be like, I forgive you. I see a lot of times, like, these court TV shows you ever seen, like, the family attacks the killer in court, and then, or the mom's like, you killed my baby, but I forgive you, because that's what I need. I want God to forgive me. And while that's valiant, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's good-spirited. I'm not sure how much they actually mean it more than they say it, but sometimes you got to learn to forgive yourself, and that feeds into the dynamic of how you deal with others by forgiving yourself. So, for instance, if you have kids with somebody, 
And you make mistakes. They make mistakes. You guys go your separate ways, but you spend the next 18 years that you're legally obligated to raise these kids together. And it's war. It's like short conversations. If that is taking shots, it's doing petty shit, whatever. You don't have to forget the other person, yo. What you need to do is to forgive yourself for your shortcomings. And then it won't weigh on you like that. It's, that's how you're able to let it go. You have to forgive yourself. Forgiving the other person does nothing for you. Because some people may not deserve to be forgiven. If we're being honest. In a situation where you got kids and it didn't work out, it's painful. If we're being honest, like everyone like to act like I catch flights, not feelings. Nah, man, it's a lot of feelings besides that. If you made a choice to lay down, have a kid with somebody in a relationship, I ain't saying no one night stand or buzz down or nothing, but in a relationship, you probably had plans at some point to be with this person long term. It didn't work out. So it's pain and, and hurt on both ends. Now, my problem is, why is it okay for y'all to share the pain, but it's not okay for y'all to share the blame? Because you would spend these next 18 years saying, man, you know what she did to me? You know how dirty she was? Y'all just don't know. Oh, man, you know this nigga did this, he did that? Y'all just don't know. So y'all both in pain behind it, even if you move on to another relationship. It's pain because you got shared life. And y'all willing to share that because you'll sit there and bicker back and forth as long as it takes. But why won't you share the blame? How hard is it to be like, hey, man, I did some fucked up shit to that girl, bro. I did, you know, conversation with yourself. I was wrong a lot of points. You can't never say I was wrong, but it's okay to just be wrong. When you forgive yourself for being wrong, it's a lot easier to verbalize it. And sometimes the other person... That's enough for them. That's enough for them just to hear that you understand you done something wrong and you regret doing it. Or maybe even you don't regret doing it, but you can see how it was wrong or how it was hurtful. That could be enough for a lot of people to move on. But we get to playing ping pong with it and shooting it back and forth. I was wrong. You was wrong. You was wrong. I was wrong. You forgive yourself. It's easier for another person to forgive you. And then you can move on in whatever way you need to, but you get rid of a lot of the pain by accepting some of the blame. This obsession with people people have with being right is weird. It's weird old shit because if if you ask 90% of um people like, yo, do you got any regrets? They're gonna be cliche and they're gonna tell you, nah, I don't regret nothing because what I did is what got me here today. It's real cliche, but it's not the truth. It's okay to have regrets. And the reason why is because nobody's perfect. We're not expected to be perfect. And if you expect someone else to be perfect, you should blame yourself for that also because they're human. So when you have these situations, man, where it's shared pain, be willing to share the blame. That shit rhymes for no reason. Like, that's a bar. If you can share pain, you can share blame. That's a bar. But be willing to share that blame, man, because when when two people don't see eye to eye, both person, both people individually probably feel like all the weight's on their shoulder because the other person can't conform to having any type of productive conversation at a point. It takes a stronger person to apologize than it does to be right. 
we're wrong more than they're right. You know what I'm saying? When you get older and you have kids and they start doing shit, and what you tell your kids when they try to get over on you, I've done this before. I made all the mistakes you've made. I'm trying to help you. You can admit in them moments because you got the power. Be be a real solid individual. Be a real one. Be reputable and be willing to accept mistakes you made in the moments with your peers, with your contemporaries, not with your kids, not with someone that you can dominate and that you can put on punishment and all that. But with someone that's of equal standing of you as an adult, be willing to admit your shortcomings with them because it's going to open them up and it's going to get more humanized where you're not going to be held to a standard of perfection. And don't do the, yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah, no one's perfect, man. That's a cop out. When someone says, hey, you didn't do this or you did this wrong, you say, I'm not perfect. That's like saying whatever. It's really like minimizing the shit. Just be a fucking adult and be willing to say, I fucked up. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't. And I'm sorry. And that may not be enough for someone. And if it's not enough for someone, then they're ignorant. And you let them go their way. But to hold on to that shit is crippling. Don't worry about forgiving other people. Forgive yourself. You got to live in your skin. You may never cross paths with someone else again, but forgive yourself for the bullshit you do. It's okay. We all fuck up. I don't fuck up as much as y'all, though. Y'all be tripping. <laughs>